0: Well, good morning, Anthem. It's good to see some of your faces back uh, after break. Uh, this morning we are uh, beginning a new series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in this in the Gospel of John at least up through Easter, the first part, and we're going to be taking a break over the summer and t- coming back next year. But we're going to be spending the better part of the next uh, year uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, so I'm extremely excited uh, for this series and to be able to just slowly marinate in in John and his gospel. And as we get going, I think this morning and to even set up the whole book, there's there's a question that can kind of prompt our thinking in the significance of John, the focus of John. And that question is what does it mean to truly have life? What does it mean to be alive? Right now, obviously, if you're in this room, you're alive in one sense, right? Duh. But uh, you, you get what I mean. I mean. I mean, what does it mean to really have life, to really be, be alive, to really have that sense of living, of, we use words, meaning, purpose to fill it in, but to, to be alive. You know, uh, on, on a, a holiday break, we, we went down to Florida, which was amazing. And, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm definitely, I realized as I'm getting older, I love being in the sun, right? And so we were, we were on the beach and there were just times I'm sitting in the sun, we got unseasonably warm weather and the kids are making sandcastles and we're, there's kind of the, it's like a red flag day where there's just huge waves. So I'm like, let's go out, right? And almost drown. And we had this, all this fun throwing the kids in the waves and, 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 and then there were times where throughout it, we would just turn around and be like, oh, this is the life, right? Have you ever done that over the holidays, right? You just turn around, oh, this is the life. This is the life, right? And, there's, and, and so as we were going through the holidays, I kept thinking about this, like, oh, man, I just, I feel like there's just peace. And, and of course, it's because you're on holiday, right? You don't have to, don't have any responsibilities. But, but for you, what is that thing that makes you say, man, this is the life. I'm really alive right now. You know, we also watched over break um, the new Matrix movie, Right. And, uh, and it, made me, it was interesting as we watched, it, if you remember the original Matrix, the whole idea is like everything's a simulation, right? That, that life isn't really as we know it and that we're actually all somewhere plugged into something and then we're plugged into this kind of like consciousness that we're all a part of and 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 everyone is not really uh, truly alive but at the same time are we really alive and so it's kind of that do you remember the famous scene do you want to take the red pill which is like you know to be be aware of this to awaken to this reality or do you want to take the blue pill and just kind of go on as if you never knew about this and just kind of go through the motions, right? And it was like, do like, you really want to be aware and alive, right? And, and for some of us, I mean, that's the thing when we think about, am I really alive? Like, there's, Because my wife and I talked about what's interesting is this new movie, if you haven't seen it yet, they actually play around a little bit more than the 90s versions or whatever it was, uh, with more this idea of like, are you really sure you want to leave the simulation? And the reason why that's interesting is because I think more and more as modern people, we're like, man, what does it really mean to be alive? I don't even, I just kind of want to be able to check out and maybe it might be, uh, I can be alive by just kind of like tuning in to entertainment and and I can just kind of get away from things and escape from things. Or maybe to be really alive is just to get back to that holiday moment. Maybe to be alive is to be successful, whatever. I mean, we live in a day and age where we use terms like woke to describe really being alive and aware of the reality around us. Everyone is trying to understand, woke just means to awaken to a reality. Everyone is pining for life and to be alive. And I I think a lot of us are living in this place of like almost urgency, like I need to find this sense of life, I need to, to find it so deeply, so badly, and yearning for it. Uh, The last few days, I don't know if you've ever been around. You know when, like, you're in a place, kind of everyone, like, all the families are in for, like, that week. And then at the end of the week, everyone's kind of getting ready to, like, leave and go home about the same time. And you can sense it. Like, it was palpable, right? The first few days, everyone's just sitting around the beach like, ah sun, right? And the third day, everyone's sunburned, right? And then the fourth day, like people kind of don't go to the beach. Then all of a sudden, like the fifth, sixth, seventh day, everyone starts realizing like, oh man, this is the life. And I got to go back to that life that I have back there. And so everyone's like urgent. Like everyone's like, build a sandcastle. And the kids are like, I'm tired. Like build a sandcastle. We need photos, right? We need family time. Like we got to soak in the life while we can, right? And everyone's almost urgent. And I think there's almost something like that to our lives, Where it's like, we have this, I want to live, I want to be alive, I want to awaken to something more, to this, whatever this reality is supposed to be, it's like, again, like a magnet that pulls our soul towards something. And we almost have these moments where we taste a little bit of it, and then we're just like urgently trying to like get a little bit more of it, because then we have to go back to whatever life is. We are in the Gospel of John. Because I think this is becoming even more and more of a, uh, what do you want to say, existential crisis for us as modern people? To not be hyper bored. To truly see something beautiful, glorious, a purpose, a meaning. See, Christianity is a message that says we are made for life. To have life. And to have life with God, in God. Theologians, sometimes we use language of participate in the life of God. And see, John's gospel specifically focuses in on how do we find that life in God, in Jesus Christ. John, at the end of his gospel, actually gives a thesis statement for his gospel. He says, this is in John 20, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, what John does, he says, listen, my gospel, there are so many other things. And John has, I think, something like like 85% of John is unique material. It's not in the other three gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so John is usually considered kind of the standalone gospel. It's written a little bit later around 70 AD or maybe even later. And so there, there are just some, it's like he's focused on something different. Well, he tells us what he's focused on, which is I want you to see a picture of who Jesus is and how you can have life in his name. So the whole series is going to be focused on how do we find life in God through Jesus Christ. To use uh, the Matrix cliche, you could almost say John is saying Jesus is the ultimate red pill. <laughs> and he's going to hold out Jesus and he's going to hold him up as an example and he's going to say, Do you want to know life? It's found in this one. And so that's what we're going to start off today. As John opens, he begins by first unveiling what life is, what reality is. It's going to be a little bit, at times, kind of almost mind-bending to really get into what John's saying here. And then he's going to talk about this desire, why it resonates so deeply within us that we would want life. In other words, why is this desire for life a feature and not a bug to our design as human beings? Why is it a feature and not a bug? That we desire life. And so first, we're going to look at the essence of life. Second, the invitation to life. And third, how to embrace life. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, in the midst of we are alive, we are breathing. Lord, we are our eyes awoke this morning, and we are breathing air, and we are walking around. But Lord, are we truly alive? Lord, you made us for life. You made us for joy. You made us for a purpose. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes to how we can find that life in Jesus? So Holy Spirit, would you, for each of us here, we're all coming from different places, different experiences, different backgrounds, different darknesses in our life that need the light of Christ to shine into it. Lord, I can't address all, I can't explain this exhaustively, but Spirit, you're the one who resonates with our soul, who knows our needs, and so Spirit, would you bring this word to land in our souls? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the opening uh, verses of John's Gospel are perhaps... Some of the most famous of the Bible. I'm going to read them again. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, what's John saying there? If you know your Bible, you know that John is referring. He's using the language of another well-known passage of the Bible, right? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right so we have John saying here in the beginning was the word and it's literally uh, to get it i mean there's so many things with this where the old testament the hebrew when they translated it into greek John took that greek translation and this is the exact language or the phrasing in the greek and so he's very purposefully referring back to creation you know any great writer if he refers to something well known in in the like in the echo chamber of the cultural experience, the shared cultural experience of, of who he's writing to and his audience, if they use imagery that is well-known and they, only a responsible writer, a good writer, uses things in such a way as a way to capture the entire ethos from that original reality and import it in. So this is what I mean. Like if I said something like, and the two, uh, the fence collapsed, like Twin Towers, right? Now, if I'm a writer and I in no way intend for you to think about 9-11, I'm a bad writer. I tend to import, like, I don't know, some kind of like, I don't know, chaotic attack from my neighbor, right, when, the, when, the, when it fell. Then at that point, it may be appropriate to use that kind of imagery. And what John's doing here, so see what I'm doing, I'd be importing significance, the entire experience and reality of that original uh, that original quotation. And what John's doing here is he's importing the entire reality from creation. And he's bringing in this reality. And he's saying something significant is happening here. In the same way that at the beginning, in the beginning, God created. So now also. In the beginning, God created with the word. And this word is one who is coming again. And so what's the significance here? We're going to come back to that. Significance is everything in creation, all reality itself. Get, try to wrap your mind around it. You can't wrap your mind around it, right? Remember, God, I had somebody once do this in our kids ministry at a previous church. He said, make your hands with the kids. He said, make your hands like this. This is about the size of your brain. Now, how much of God can fit into that, right? This, this is beyond what we can completely understand, but what he says here is that all of reality, the significance is that all of reality, all of creation, everything created is in some way connected with this word. And we cannot understand it unless we know this word. And so what is this word? Now, again, this is where it's, it's kind of, it's, it's complex. John, uh, a lot of ink has actually been spilled debating what John is doing here, because John uses a Greek word, logos, 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 whichever word you want to use, potato, patata. But logos, and it was a sh- sort of a, like a scholarly term in the first century. Uh, philosophers would use it to describe kind of uh, like truth, but also rationality as a whole. It could be translated word, it could be translated reasoning, it could be translated as a message. Uh, but ultimately, they, it was the Greek understanding of God. And there's a lot of a lot of things we could go into right now, but here's where I'll, I'll drop it off at. The Greek conception of God as the Logos was this idea of God just being this rationality that's out there. And, and there's just kind of this truth that's out there. But here's the thing. It's impersonal. It's out there. It wants nothing to do with you. It's just facts and figures. It's like God is just kind of math, right? And so it's just the inner logic of how the world works. And so God is very distant. There may be truth. There may be ideals, but he's really distant and really doesn't want anything possibly to do with you. And so what John does here is John actually takes this word logos, which is a well-known word, in the ancient world. And what he does, he says, I want to make known to you this God. And so whether John is speaking to the Greeks, then he's speaking to the Greeks, and he's going, this logos, this, this, this idea that you have, I want to take that term and I want to reinterpret it because you think that everything is what exists. And what I'm telling you is everything is created by someone. And what he's going to do then next is he's going to describe who that someone is. And so he describes him, and this is and, and you might be asking, why is it important that God is, he's saying this word has everything to do with everything in reality that's created. Well, here's where it's going to become significant. It's going to become significant because John immediately then redefines for his audience the meaning of this word. And he says it's, he's someone who is a person in relationships. He's not just an impersonal force. Like, you know, think Star Wars, just evil and good and just a force out there that has nothing to do with you. Instead, he begins to define him by the relationship. And that has everything to do with what the essence of life is. Because he says, first, and the word was with God. Now what does he mean by that? By by the word in some way is distinct, right? He's with God and, and, and so he's still with him. And this language here in the Greek is like intimate relationship, personal relationship. So there's some way in which this word is in a relationship with God and it's an intimate relationship. It's an eternal relationship. This is why, to just jump ahead, this is why uh, you'll hear language like Jesus. This is one of the main verses for it. Why? Jesus is, is referred to as the second person of the Trinity, right? Of the Godhead, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That Jesus is with God. He's distinct. He's a distinct person within the Godhead. And so he's the Son. But then at the same time, John says, yes, he's distinct, but then he also, the, and the Word, was God. And so at the same time, he is God, he's co-eternal, he's self-existent, he's glorious. And so he's both fully God, he's of God, the same essence, but then also a distinct person. Now why does that matter? It matters because it means that that relationship that exists within God affects everything of what reality is. So get this as John is starting. What John is saying is that this reality right here, from before time began, this eternal reality within God, the fact that God is in relationship with himself, the nature of that relationship, the essence of that relationship, that is the essence of life. Because in him, he will go on to say, is life life. He is life. Everything flows from him. And as we know, well, verses getting ahead, here's what I'll say. This is why later on Jesus and John's gospel will connect himself with that life. Jesus is going to say in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, Jesus wasn't just, I want to get this out of our heads. Jesus, and this is what John is at pains to do here. Jesus is not just some guy who was born in like 4 BC, and then he was really spiritual and a really good guy, and so he was just a really good spiritual guru, and so he said, I've got some insights, and so I want to teach you some things so you can kind of elevate yourself spiritually. What he's saying is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, because I I am the word, I am the logos, I am the very reality. I am the grounding for all of reality. The relationship I have with my father and the spirit from before time began has now poured out into creation. And you cannot know that life fully unless you know me. This is packed. And this is why verse two emphasizes, it's kind of a repetition, verse two, he was in the beginning with God. It's kind of a repeat of verse 1. Part of the reason why this is, it's it's emphasizing he was with God. Again, it's emphasizing the relationship is the important part. He's in eternal community within himself. That's what John's emphasizing. Greek, Hebrew, ancient languages didn't have punctuation marks or emojis or any of that kind of stuff. And so he wanted to emphasize something. They couldn't put an exclamation point after verse 1. They just repeated the most important part. This is why in in Scripture you have holy, 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 and you have all this repetition. It's because they didn't have a way to signify with punctuation marks. And so here he's signifying, he's emphasizing the relationship, the reality of the fact that he was with God. And he is God. And that the essence of that relationship is everything if you want to know the essence of life and the world that he created. And the whole point of the Genesis account, the whole point of Scripture, the whole point of John's gospel is to offer us an invitation into that life. And so point number two, the invitation to life. Now, obviously, if all John told us was that God is eternally loving, God is uh, glorious, God is self-existent, if he just kind of told us those things and he was, you know, filled with joy, that, that would be nice, but it would not be good news for us. It would just be news, right? That's great for God. What, <laughs> what about me? It's like when you get the Christmas card from the family who's like, you know, like they're beautiful and they're off in the mountains somewhere. And you're like, well, good for you, right? Good for you, God. Thank you for the postcard and the message, right? What John does here then in verses 3 and 4 is he begins to unpack how we have been invited to participate in that life to participate in that relationship. Verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The Greek word for all uh, in the English translates as all. (laughs) Uh, When it says all, it means everything. You're like, okay, everything was made, so the Milky Way, Is, is that all? All, right? Puppies. All right, chair. All right, boogers. All right, all. Yeah, some, I was like, wait, as I'm doing this, I'm, I didn't plan what I'd say. I'm like, are some of these the fall, are boogers, anyways. But he made all things. All things are good. He made everything, down to the, the little hairs on your toes. Right. Sorry, I just I should think through these. Uh, but in Colossians 1, 16 and seventeen, Paul says this is why well. he says, for by him. All things were created. He's talking about Jesus here. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things were created, all people, all realities, all all power, like dynamics in the universe, all laws of the universe, gravity, all colors, all smell, our senses. And without him was not, or sorry, all things were created through him and for him. All these things were created through him. They're for him and through him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So also if he were to let go, it all comes apart. It's really hard to even begin to grasp these things. But what it does mean is that everything was made because you're going, wait, what does it mean that everything's made from him and for him? And this God, and the Father? I can kind of imagine God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How, how should I almost conceptualize what's happening at creation? And why is this significant? And what does it have to do with me? Well, why it's significant is if the nature, the essence of that relationship were told elsewhere in Scripture, John tells us actually in a letter. In chapter 4 of John's letter, he says of First John, he says, God is love. We see also in John's gospel that he talks about in John 17, Jesus is talking to the Father and he says, before time began, I, I knew glory with you. So it's glorious. You see language like peace. You see language like power. You see all this language. But here's the thing. What it's saying is the essence of that relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now is the essence of the life that God creates the world with. And he creates it through the Son. And the best way I, I can... I think some of you have heard us talk about this, but I think it is so important because we so often think that the Trinity is just kind of like theological mind games or just kind of like something out there. But the Trinity and the reality that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, an eternal loving community is vital for understanding the world that we live in. Because what it's saying here is that everything was made through him. It's made as an expression of that love, of that delight that the Father has for the Son. All of the world is a, cre- is a, it's created to mirror, to message that reality to us. And so before time began, God's in this relationship, this community of perfect love and delight. And out of that, at some point, for some reason, God, God knows. He overflowed with that love and delight like an artist overflows with expression to, to express it to create the most beautiful and grand picture of it in reality. Only God doesn't just create pictures. He creates living realities. And so God speaks this world into existence. And you can think of the cosmos as like this great blank canvas that then God created and then he put this masterpiece on. And so everything in creation, this is why things captivate us. This is why we love to look at sunsets. This is why we are captivated by flowers. And, you know, when the sun sets on like the on mountains, or why we love to go to oceans. This is why we love the taste of things, and why we, we don't just eat paste, but we we're all into like all these cooking shows and making all these complex flavors and whatnot, so we can experience them. The world is teeming with the glory of God. The heavens above Psalm 19:1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Gerard Manley Hopkins in his poem God's Grandeur says the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Some theologians have called the cosmos the world a theater of glory. A glory of God. It testifies Psalm 19 says that creation is proclaiming, it's speaking, it's testifying, it's making known who God is, His glory, His goodness, His beauty, His truth. And in the midst of it, God created man and woman, He created humanity. He made this theater, and he's delighting in it. And it's like, it almost imagine it being like a way of saying, this is how much I love you. This is glorious. This is how glorious you are. This is how faithful you are. This is how good you are. And he creates this world. And this that's why God again and again every day is saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the apex of it, then he creates humanity. And he says that we're created in the image of God. And why is that? Because we are created with the unique capacity to join in that delight. This is why God immediately says, with this creation, this theater of glory, take all the raw materials of creation, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, develop, express art in your own way that worships me, that is filled with that love and that delight, to enjoy that love and delight in relationships and friendships and marriages with one another and parenting your kids and all all these things. This was meant to be a reality that we lived in life, and God invites us into that light, that life. You know, if you think about it, I, why do we all want, like, some adventure? Why do we all want a quest, right? A quest. This morning, we were, uh, my kids, you know, the new Frozen, maybe it's not new, it's like a year or so old, uh, that song, into the unknown, right? And, oh, Right, and you're listening to it, and even me, who's listening, I'm like ah, oh, frozen again. But every time I hear that song, I'm like, yeah, into the unknown, right? Like there's a little bit. I'd rather it be like some Viking Norse guy, like singing ah, oh, into the unknown, right? But it's like when I hear that, I'm like, yes. Into the, like, there's something in us that goes, there's something we're meant for. And here's the thing God is saying this life is meant to be a quest, a journey, a pilgrimage, and just enjoying all these things and discovering new depths of His glory and His love and His goodness. He says, You're meant to walk with me and just dig deeper and deeper and discover more of who I am. And you do it with one another. And then when you do and you discover new things, you get to turn you get to express it. You get to teach it. You get to tell it. You get to paint and you get to whatever different modules you want to use. Mediums. Build infrastructure. Life is, God has invited us into this life to experience delight in him. And what John says in verse four is that that life is in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. First, in Him was life. In Him was life. God, like, Again, every phrase, every clause here, we could just turn over for an entire day easily together. Throughout church history, these Verses have been mined again and again and again because of their depth and complexity. But in him was life. Jesus embodies the very life of God, the very joy, the very delight. Jesus, I mean, think about Jesus. When you read the gospel, Jesus is the most fully alive human being that ever lived. In John, as we'll see as we go throughout the gospel, as he said at the end, he's going to highlight that all throughout the gospel. He's going to say, look at him, look at him, look how glorious it is, look how filled with life he is. It's almost as if he comes, he used the light imagery, to a world that's so often filled with darkness where we're stumbling around trying to find the life. And Jesus comes in and he turns on a light and he says, let me show you. Second part, the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Of men. Now, notice that weird phrasing. Like, it's not merely the life of Jesus on earth was the light of men. In other words, just the historical example of Jesus. Sometimes we read this and we go, oh, because Jesus modeled what it means to be loving and nice and all these things, then, then that's all we need. We need the model, the record of Jesus, and then he's kind of an example, and that's it. Now, Jesus isn't less than that, but Jesus is far more than that. It's not just saying that the historical life of Jesus gives us a model for how to behave or how to be successful, or whatever you want to apply. But the very essence of the life within Jesus, the essence of the life that Jesus has within himself, is everything that we've been looking for. Everything that we're yearning for. And so throughout John's gospel, he's going to reveal how we look for life. Jesus is going to be showing us. He says, listen, I have life within myself. And so when you read the gospels, it's, it's so helpful to encounter Jesus because he says he's sympathetic. He's come in human flesh. And what you see over and over again is Jesus, is, it kind of exposes where we try to find that life and things that aren't, can't give us that life we're looking for. They might be kind of a, an overflow of a good thing in life, but they can't ultimately be the source of that life. They can be good things, marriage, career, education, but they can't ultimately be that life. And what Jesus does again and again is he's going to show us how to find that life in him. John's gospel, the gospel in general, the message of Christianity is an invitation to participate in the life of God through Jesus. What John goes to at the beginning of his gospel, and he's going to talk throughout the gospel about how that spiritually, how that happens and, and what, what that takes to die to ourselves and, and whatnot. But one thing here is he's saying, understand you were created for this. The very world you live in is hardwired with this reality. You were made for it. So lastly, how do we embrace life? How do we accept that invitation? Uh, one of the things I, I really I love about the Bible is that the bible it, it never offers the solution without also addressing the problem uh, I, I find a lot of approaches, and I, I don't want to rag on because some stuff I find helpful from, it, but you know kind of like self help and whatnot uh, oftentimes it's just kind of like childish papering over of life and and there are real levels of darkness in our lives that ultimately oftentimes we just try to not addressed, but ultimately we all know they're there. And what I love about Scripture is as John invites us to the life of Christ, he immediately then says there's this thing called darkness. And you say, hey, find this life, and it's just kind of, oh, that's nice. And you walk away and you go, whoa, whoa, but real life. He says the light shines in verse 5 in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? We, we all we hear about life, and we all want it. No one's back there, and I'm like, "Let's." today we're going to talk about how to find life, and you're like, boo, right? No one does that, but often we find our lives just overwhelmed by darkness. Something in the way. Hopkins, in that poem I read, God's Grandeur, he goes on, he says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out, like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness, like the ooze of oil, crushed. Why do men then, now, not wreck his rod? Listen to this. Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. See, we all think there's something in there it resonates that description. We know there's darkness within us. We know there's darkness all around us. We know the fall is a reality that we all are aware of. And Notice John's careful phrasing. He says back in verse four, "The life was the life of men." It seems that what John's saying there is he's saying it was because we walked away from it. We tried to find it elsewhere. And this invitation that John gives us in his gospel to life is childish if it doesn't deal with that darkness. It's sentimentality. It's wishful thinking. In fact, you could say it would be deeply unloving. Unloving for someone to leave us in our darkness. It would be unloving for God to corrupt his light with our darkness. Imagine if, if the story was, hey, hey, do you like how, how, how life's going? Let's just kind of paper it all over, and then I'm just going to give you a little bit of an add-on of light, and then what happens is we bring our darkness into the presence of God, and for all of eternity, we just get to keep doing this thing again and again and again and again and again. And again. To love someone is to will their good, right? We know this if you're a parent with your kids in order to do so, to love them and to will their good, you have to hold them to a standard of goodness. And what God does here is He holds us to His standards of holiness, His goodness, His love, the reality of who He is. Because we can never, as creatures, measure up to our Creator's standard. And what John is saying here, from the very first verse, is that the significance is that instead we must have a creator who enters creation. See, John is alluding to creation because he's saying that in Jesus, the creator is recreating. That light has entered, bringing light to the darkness. Just as that creation, God spoke into the darkness, let there be light. Now he speaks here. He says, let my word come forth. Hebrews 1, 2 says that God spoke in christ but now he's speaking and saying this is how you can find salvation just says at creation there was emptiness it was formless and void and there was darkness and the spirit came and was hovering bringing order so also now god is saying in this one he will come into your life into the darkness into the emptiness and he will make you whole and he will deal with the darkness and he will bring order you reorder your lives and your heart and your loves and your soul You know, right now, I think it's easy to live with a negative, bitter spirit. Everything going on in the world, I think we just kind of found ourselves kind of in this world, right, all the time. To let the darkness have the final say. But the gospel tells us that in Jesus, the light of God's glory will have the final say. And so here's the thing. I'm going to just end here with three quick things. A way to make 2022, you could call it a year of light. A year when we, we take hold of what God is saying here, this promise and saying, the light is going to banish, it's banishing the darkness. That as Jesus will say later in the gospel of John, fear not, I have overcome the world. And how do we take hold of that? Because I think, here's the thing, 2022, I don't know what it holds. You don't know what it holds. But here's what we do know. This is true. And we do know that the promises here are true. And so we do have a choice. We have a choice to take hold of this reality and every day to choose to see the world through this reality and to put, like we refer to in our house, like kindling around our lives so that when the fire of God falls, it has something to burn. And so here are the three things I would say as you start this year, I know we're like a week late until like the New Year's resolutions, but I know we all kind of like punted on them and we're starting over anyways. So (laughs) we're a weekend. So... Uh, Here we go. Uh, So, first one is, I'm going to do these quickly. First one is be in the Word. Be in the Word. The word of God is going, here we're talking about Jesus as the word, well, God also speaks in his word, and not only in creation has he made his glory known, but also in a special way, in a salvific way, and a necessary way. He said, you want to know how to navigate life and to see Jesus. He's saying, read this. John is literally saying, read this book and you'll see my glory. That's actually what we're going to be looking at next week. But we need to see Christ in our everyday lives, and we need to read scripture and see how God has pursued us to see that in a world where we feel just tossed and turned, we see that there is a God in the midst of the chaos who is coming in order to save us and redeem us and give us life. So whose word is loudest in your life? Is it God's word? So one of the things we'll send out tomorrow and I thought we had printed ones, but we don't have printed ones. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, um, sign up to get our emails. And tomorrow we will send a link in that to a really good Bible reading plan that they just put out with SALT, our college ministry, uh, for, for this year. So find something. You can just Google Bible reading plan. Just get into Scripture. Start with the Gospel of John. I don't care. Just every day be reading Scripture, be in God's Word, hear from Him. And here's the thing also as you're in His Word, you encounter Him. So then you actually have an idea of what the light is. So then you more clearly see the darkness so you can go and grab hold of the light. Does that make sense? Uh, Second is commit to some kind of community in prayer. So we have community groups here. I would encourage you to connect with a community group over the next few weeks. They're gonna be launching over there. I know ours will start next week. Uh, And so you can get info over there at the welcome area, but get into a group And be in prayer with one another for one another's lives. We need to be not competing and fighting against one another, which all of our culture is doing, but we need to be contending for life in one another. And as we're going to see throughout John's gospel, there's a huge emphasis on prayer because we can go to God who's the source of life and he will give us life. And so just be in relationships where you can be walking that out. And then third, slow down and contemplate God's glory. Here's what I mean by that. This has hit me a lot over the last few months, just getting away from busyness and slowing down. If this is true, that in all creation, it's teeming with God's glory, then here's the thing. As the snow falls, it's proclaiming to you something. As the breath leaves your, you know, you see it in the cold air. When spring comes and the flowers start blooming, sorry, I have limited examples of the cold winter times of January, but you get what I mean. When the sun rises, when the sun sets, we have, we have the glory of God on ice, on surfaces. We, we see the glory of God, and here's the thing, we so often are just running so fast that we don't see it, and we are invited in Scripture again and again to slow down and contemplate. And here's what I mean. I know contemplation is one of those words. It's deeply biblical, but we need to bring it back because we lost it because it got hijacked it means something else now contemplation actually comes from the compound word of con and temple so Khan is the word for with and temple. It comes from places like Psalm 27, 4, when it says David was overwhelmed and he entered into the temple of God and then in God's presence, and then he was given peace. What it's doing is saying, and now because we are the temple of God made filled with his Holy Spirit, God's presence is present with us because of Christ and by his spirit. And so throughout our day, we so often are busy and forget that. And God says, slow down and become aware that I am with you. Become aware of the moment. Don't don't wait till that other season of life that you're like, oh, and I get it. I just got out of the diaper phase. When my kids are older, then I can live. When I get to college, then I can finally live. When I get that career, then I can Also, part of it is just being content in the moment. And God says, slow down and look at the birds, the sparrows, look at the flowers, look at the realities around you and see my care. See how big I am. See my glory. See my goodness. So take some time to be in the Word. Commit to a CG in prayer and slow down and contemplate. Take one of those this week. Put it into action. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your roommates. Which one would you do? And and make some time for those. Uh, To end, George uh, Hopkins ends his poem in terms of contemplation. He says, for all this nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights of the black west went... Oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent, he's talking about the beauty of creation, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. God is inviting us, you, me, to life in Him. God's Word is inviting us in the midst of all the darkness of life to draw near to God in Jesus Christ. So 2022, we have a choice to pursue the light. Let it penetrate the darkness. The invitation is clear. Embrace life in God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would, Lord, you would apply it to each of our lives as we need. Lord, whether it's to be in your in your word Lord to, to be in your word in a more focused way, and be bringing it before you and praying. Lord, whether it's to find relationships and those we can walk with, and whether it's to be more intentional and in following up and praying for one another. Lord, whether it in contending specifically for life. Lord, whether it's to slow down and contemplate you throughout the day. Lord, we ask that you give us Christ. Spirit would you do this work? Lord, these are all beautiful sounding things, but they're empty if the reality, if you are not real. <laughs> they're empty and if Lord, if you do not draw near, and so Lord, would you do that with your people in the way that only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.